Well, good afternoon. Good to see you all here today. <laughs> Happy birthday. I've decided that I'm not going to go past this one. <laughs> That's just a good place to start. <laughs> it's getting scary where we're at now, right? <clears throat> well, let's take our Bibles once again and turn uh, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue in our quest through the, I would say, the inaugural speech, if you will, of Jesus Christ as he presents kingdom, kingdom talk, if you will, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, let's begin reading once again at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 12. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let's pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, again, we are thankful for the opportunity we have to meet in this place where we corporately can come together and to worship and praise you. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to lift our, our voices to you in, in song, and also, Father, the opportunity to align our wills with yours through prayer. Thank, thanking you for you being available 24-7 every day. Thank you, Father, that time is of no essence to you. And thank you, Father, that you never change. And now, Father, as we go to the Word, we would ask that you would have us, all of us, be focused upon you for these moments because I'm confident, because of what the Word says, that you're faithful to complete the task that's begun. Philippians 1.6. And as you're doing that today, shape us and mold us. Become the master sculptor, Father, in using your Word to chip off the things that aren't necessary and to conform us to the image of your Son, which, quite honestly, you've very clearly said is your purpose for saving us. Now, Father, take these words that were spoken by our, our Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ, and allow us to see them more intimately, so relationally, Father, that you take us where you want us to be. We'll ask that the Holy Spirit exclusively would be our teacher today as we look to learn and to lean as we listen to the Word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we uh, have went on, I think this is about the fifth uh, part of this study that we've been going through. We've talked about a uh, way to be happy. And uh, as they would have been gathered on that day, people, multitudes, it says, a large, large group that were gathered with Jesus sitting down on the side of a, on the, on the edge of a mountain, it says. And he opens the dialogue and allows them to see within him what's really important to Jesus. Now, granted, he's gathered them up in a very unique way. Um, I would say that it would be a way to gather people if you went out amongst the multitudes and you began healing and caring for people. To think of that, that he healed people of their diseases, he healed them of their maladies, and he's brought them together. I'm going to tell you something. Their ears are ready to listen to this guy, right? To have your life changed, boom, like that. And now he's going to talk to you. I'm telling you, there was rapt attention. There must have been. And then he opens up with the lines that he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, or the humble. It would be totally the antithesis of everything that had been taught by the religious leaders of that day. That would have been 180 degrees off. And if they were sitting there, they must have said, you've got to be kidding me. What is this, a joke? Is he starting out to just try to be on the opposite side of what really reality is for us? And he continues. 
and continues and continues. And literally from chapters 5 through chapter 7 and beyond, he's speaking about things that they don't have any idea of how it would pertain to them being happy. And I'm going to say the same thing. This passage of Scripture has been with us for over 2,000 years. And it's the same. If you want to be happy, this is the way to do it. How many people do it this way? <laughs> it's a very small group. It's a very small group. And yet, Jesus would say the very same thing to us today. As we look across our war-torn nation, and I say war because of all of the things that are taking place, really are very much the same things that happen in a war. It's tearing us apart. There are things, and, and ultimately, I'll have to say this, and I, I think you would agree, the reason we've gotten here are there are individuals and groups that are trying to be happy. And it won't work. We've said it several times already in this session that if your full and complete goal is to be happy, and that's why you're here, I can guarantee you one thing. You won't be happy. <laughs> you will be miserable. In fact, I was going to end with this verse, but this one seems to be appropriate. Turn with me. Hold your place in Matthew 5. We'll be right back. But turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Um, literally, we're talking about in chapter, I'm sorry, uh, verse 7 of chapter 5 of Matthew. But turn, just keep doing what I told you to do. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. We're talking about mercy today. And that's something that's very absent from our populace. It's probably absent from our earth in, in the sense. But watch what, literally, back in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17, it says this. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel troubleth his own flesh. Did you see right there in that little couplet tells us the way to be happy. That merciful man will be happy. It's good for his own soul. That means he's happy. Now, if, I was gonna, if we were going to preach out into Sheridan, Twin Bridges, you could go to Butte if you wanted to. You could go anywhere you want to go in southwestern Montana and say, the way to be happy is to show mercy. What is mercy? That's what we want to talk about today. We want to compare it maybe in some other words and bringing a fullness, a richness to it. But if you were going to, if I was going to ask you today, what is mercy? How would you respond? What would you say? Tell me what mercy is. Not getting what you deserve. And from God's perspective, that's exactly right. We're going to, we're going to take a look at this in a few moments. The difference between mercy and grace. And that's where you were coming from. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. It says, for all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. And therefore, we're really subject to and need in the sense of deserving death. And God said, because of my mercy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. And that's one facet of it. It absolutely is. And we want to expand upon, we want to unpack more things out of the mercy bag. We want to get your fullness in the sense of understanding how it compares to the big picture from God's perspective, his characteristics, his attributes, and where mercy is in all of that. Now, the first four things that we talked about previously, uh, literally we could say is humility, to being poor in spirit. That's a great place to start for everything. Show me someone that's learning a career. The best place for that person, he or she, is to be humble and to be attentive and open and listening and seeking things that they don't know. Now, I've had a number of young people that have come, and they know everything. There's nothing for them to know that hasn't been known. No, no, that's God's job. God's the one that knows everything there's ever been to be known. And you know what? The one that comes humbly, there's a great future. There's a great future, isn't there, in anything. I'm just speaking from a career, but think of it in respect to God. What's the best way to come before God? He knows more about you than you know about you. I want to come just, Lord God, I just come to you as a humble, contrite sinner that I can't do anything about what I am, but you can. That is a wonderful place to start. And that's where Jesus started, right there, right there. Just be humble. And then secondarily, the one was to be mournful or to be sorrowful for the sin of which I am a participant of. And then what did we talk about? The third one was meekness, a word very rarely used in our country. Actually, very rarely used anywhere. We wrote it on the board. If I, I said, meekness, what does it mean? And you said, in most cases, weakness. No, a thousand times no. Jesus Christ was the meekest God-man. I'm going to say it that way. He's 100% God, 100% man. That was the meekest person that ever walked the face of the earth. Because he had all of the power and chose not to use it for himself. 
If we could just initiate a very small part of that in our own lives, the landscape of our nation today would look vastly different. Meet this. And then we talked last week about thirsting, and I'm talking about literally just yearning, almost starving. characteristics that Jesus is asking for us to do, then out of those come manifestations of those four. And the first one we're talking about is today is, you know what? Mercy. Mercy is a gift from God. Mercy isn't something you just think up, well, I'm going to go out and be merciful today. No, it doesn't work that way. Nobody wants to be merciful in and of itself, right? I found it interesting. Uh, now, Paul took off. That means I must be boring already. But uh, <laughs> and let's turn back to what he was reading, I think. I get it right. Um, did, did, did he read from uh, Psalm chapter 51? I, I thought I heard it. Turn back there for a moment. And I, I found it, it just, boom, it hit me right out. And I had, did not have it in my notes. Uh, Psalm chapter 51, verse 1. Look at that. This is, this is David. And the situation was when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And here comes Nathan. What a job that must have been. We've spoken about it in the last several weeks. How would have you liked to have been the prophet Nathan? You're going to appear before the king, the one that has the authority to cut your neck off. Actually, your, your head off, your neck, is what he could do. He could do anything he wanted to do because he's the king. He's the authoritarian. Here comes this prophet, and you're going to tell David that he's a sinner. <laughs> great. That is great. That's just what I want to do. God, I'll get back to you on that one. Have you ever had a really tough job that God's asked you to do, and you wanted to turn around and run? That's the one he really wants you to turn around and pray. He wants you to get close to him, and I'm sure Nathan did. And Nathan came with this grand task, and he comes before David, and he tells this cool little story. And it was short. I know it was. Because, and David was incensed. He couldn't see anything wrong in himself. And David said, there's this one guy, a really poor guy. He's got one little ewe lamb. And he protected it with his life. And there was a man that had someone visiting. And he came over and he said, I don't want to use my sheep. I'm going to go get one of, of that poor man. I'm going to just take that lamb. And David just blew up. That man will pay. Where is he? Who is he? And Nathan, I'm sure he had one of those long, pointy fingers. <laughs> I know he did. <laughs> How do I know that? I don't know, but it felt big and long to, to David because David said, you are that man. And that's all it took because God used what Nathan prepared at the hand of God in giving the words that God had given to him. And all of a sudden, boom, David hit the floor. And this is what he said. This is the psalm that he transcribed or he gave. And look at verse 1 of chapter 51. Talk about why. Just right there it is. It says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. Where does mercy come from? It comes out of God's love. That's where mercy comes from. So it comes, it's actually a gift, if you will, from God. Now, as we go back and thinking of our context in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus was talking to people that externals or the outside is what really made a difference to them. If you talk to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other UCs, they really literally weren't getting it. There, nothing inside mattered. It was all about externals. You wanted to look right, sound right, and act right. That's why he called, remember one of his favorite terms for these folks? You remember what it was? A hypocrite. He called them hypocrites. They were trying to be something they weren't. They were being something that they really didn't, they really weren't. And he opens this up and he said, I want to talk about the inside. I want to do an inside job on you. I want to get to the basic. I want to get right inside of you and change your heart. Whoa. That was not particularly well received, but that's really where it all starts. It starts from our heart. Now, I'm going to say something, and then I because this is really literally all that the gospel is about. We are not meant to control our Christianity. Christianity is meant to control us. Let me say that one more time. We are not meant to control Christianity. That's called legalism. Literally, we do stuff on the outside, and it makes it look like we fit, like we're cool. No, no. Christianity is literally given and meant to control us from the inside. And it's God's gifts that allow that to happen. And that's why our world gets changed, not because of us, because of who is in us. Because from an inner expression that is literally across all the people that you know and talk to that comes from God who shed his love abroad with our hearts. Romans 5, 5. Paul, don't let me forget. I, said, I want to come back to that. That's going to be a nice way to end. That's totally... You, you're not on the spot or anything, but just so you know that... Romans 5. 5. Yeah, just remember that one. 
Okay. At any rate, it's very, very appropriate that we understand where does all of this come from? It comes from God. We've already said the first four attributes are literally inner attitudes, of which now our first one, mercy, is one that is a manifestation that comes as a result of that. Let's talk about the significance of mercy. Uh, mercy is loving when it's not deserved. How often could that happen? That probably never happens, does it? To love someone when it's not deserved. Oh, that's never happened before. Of course, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's rampant. It's all over the United States of America. It's at every level. Loving when it's not deserved. That's mercy. Uh, John chapter 8. Let's go there for a moment. John chapter 8. Let's watch Jesus. He was a man of mercy. A person of mercy. Check this out. They were setting him up. John chapter 8. And we'll just pick up in verse 1 if I ever get there. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they, said, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? How would you like to be in that situation right now? Jesus is in the hot seat, isn't he? He was there teaching those, and all of a sudden, poof, out of nowhere, here come the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, and they dump this lady right in front. This woman has been caught in adultery. There's always been something that's bugged me. Where's the guy? This is set up from the very, you just know this is a setup. And they said, the Mo, but Moses said in the law we should stone her. So what do you say, Jesus? Because if he goes against that, that means he's against the law. And if they could get him to say that in public, the people would turn on him in an instant. Right? Oh, it's, it's been thought through. Uh, what are you going to do, Jesus? Well, let's keep reading. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. We just spoke of that. Jesus stooped down. <laughs> if all else fails, start writing in the dirt. Try that sometime. If you think you're really on the spot, they will leave. You just start writing in the dirt. Try that. I have to say, I'm going to do it next time, right? I'm going to try. But it, let's, be, let's, be, let's be real. He, with his finger, he wrote onto the ground as though he heard them not. He paid no attention. He just stooped down and started writing in the ground. Now, keep in mind, what's the context? He was teaching people. And here comes this out-of-the-blue thing. And they say, what do you say, Jesus? And he starts... He's doodling on the ground. What's he doodling? Well, that we don't know for sure. But it's obvious the most learned, the most elderly, the smartest got the picture. Watch what he says. So when they continued asking him, in other words, if, if, if you want to really get it, just keep asking because eventually he's going to hear you. Then he got up and he said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you what, if kneeling down and writing in the dirt does that, he's going to win every time. It was just like he, he, he put it right back in their court. Now what happens? <laughs> but, 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 and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Everything's changed, hasn't it? The air went out of that atmosphere. Can you, can you imagine? <laughs> and one after another, they just quietly left the scene. Didn't need to know anymore, did they? And now the only ones left are the ones that Jesus wanted to do a, magic, a, ma a majestic work in this person's life. And he says, when Jesus had lifted himself up and he saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, unto her Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That is an act of mercy. That is mercy. See, the only time that mercy can come up is when there's a problem. 
Did you ever think of it that way? You don't have a problem. You don't need mercy. Now, mercy comes out of love, which we'll talk about in a moment. But it says that the father loved the son and the son loved the father. But certainly the father didn't need mercy from the son, nor the son needing mercy from the father. You see, love is bigger than mercy. But mercy comes from love. Let's keep going. If you think about what Jesus just did there, it is more than compassion. It's more than sympathy. It's literally meeting the need. It's like getting inside the skin, if you will, of that person. And you're acting to do and to meet a need. I'm thinking of Luke chapter 10. Remember that good Samaritan? Let's go there for a moment. Is it, does that mean there, there's bad Samaritans? Is that what that means? If there's one good one? I've often thought about that. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and let's unfold and unpack this. This was given in response to another question that was directed at him. Uh, I think it's Luke chapter 10. Yeah, here we go. Let's start in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood. Did you see that? They had lawyers back then too. Amazing. And tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And just who is my neighbor? <laughs> Have we struggled with that sometimes? Yeah, who is my neighbor? You I mean not the guy right across the road or that person I really don't like very much. He, might, he couldn't possibly be my neighbor, right? Have you got neighbors that really aren't your neighbors? That's kind of what this guy's into. Jesus answered, verse 30, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... Now stop for a moment. What do you know about Samaritans? Do you know anything about Samaritans? Uh, that would be a nice way of putting it, absolutely. In fact, um, if you were a religious leader in Israel, you literally would take the long way around and wouldn't go through Samaria. That's how much you detested them. And now Jesus uses the Samaritan to tell a story of which he's the hero, which would be very robust in thought, diversity. He says, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, stop. Tell me the difference. Is there a difference between compassion and mercy? And I'm, I'm picking a little bit, but uh, what, what would you describe compassion as? And you're saying, you're, this is a trick. Yes, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, that, that, that is literally, you see the person and compassion hits him. Now, did compassion hit the priest or the Levite? Did they not see him? How did he end up on the other side of the road? A choice. And you chose not to have compassion. You chose not to think about that person. You just literally said, I don't want to be involved in that person's life right now. And I find it interesting. They were going down the side of the road where this particular gentleman had been, you know, robbed and stripped and beat up and half dead, as the scripture says. And they then conveniently chose to go down the other side of the road, showing no compassion. Now, mercy is another level. Mercy is allowing the compassion which turns the key. And this is literally to drive in underneath and do what's necessary to meet the need. He went beyond compassion. He showed mercy. Watch what he does. Now, mercy costs something. If your mercy doesn't cost anything, it's not mercy. Let's keep reading. Oh, what verse did I leave you in? Oh, here we go. Let's watch mercy in action. Now, it says he had compassion on him and went. Now, what, what if he would have just stopped there? He, let, let, let me set this up. It doesn't say this, but let's just stop. And he's walking down the same side of the road. He didn't switch sides. In other words, from here to the end of the church, uh, 
ooh, that looks like a problem. That looks like something I don't want to be involved in. I think I'll just take the other side of the road. And two of those did that. Out of sight, out of mind. I have a pasture where cows, it's early in the spring and we don't have any grass. We take them to the out of sight, out of mind pasture, which I can't see them. And it's not nearly as big as I'd like to think it was. That's kind of what was happening here. It's the out of sight, out of mind. As long as I don't see them, I don't have to think about them. You ever done that? Don't, don't raise your hands. There's a few nods. It's easy done, isn't it? I don't want to get involved right now. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, this was, let's see, this was a week ago, two weeks ago. I was hauling cows over to Harrison, did some stuff, and now I'm, I'm, I'm empty, going home. And if you come out on that Highway 359 with the junction, if you turn at Cardwell and you go into 287, which comes into Harrison, okay, and there's a stop sign there. This is key to this, to this story. There's a stop sign there. If you're coming from Cardwell, you enter 287, but you stop before you enter, okay? So I'm coming from Harrison North. It's about a mile, maybe a mile and a half, till you, and I want to go on 359. And there's a person ahead of me. And all of a sudden, literally, literally, just shooting at 40 to 50 miles an hour, did not stop, flew across the ditch nearly, and hits the, you know, the ditch and just nearly goes end over end, a pickup. And then there's dust and there's stuff and got my attention. And I'm probably a quarter mile back. Just, you know where the railroad tracks are? Any of the two, yeah, okay, right there is where I was about at. And I thought, that person's not doing well, okay? So what I did is I turned around and went the other way. No, I didn't stop. You, guys look, you did that? I was just, you, you should have saw your look. How does this fit? He turned around and left. No, 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 stop, stop. I didn't. See, you're, you're kind of, I can't believe I just, I did, it was like ripping a page out of you. It was, what? He did? No. No, no, please. The guy right in front of me, he made the corner and stopped, and then he walked back, and I pulled up right beside, and I ran over there. I got my phone ripped out, and then there's, it's, it's, he landed in a field, and it's, the irrigation water was this deep. And I, oh, I was going to show the boots I have. They have holes in them, right? Oh, so, no. and I, so anyway, I'm standing on his on the on the the, the running board in the pickup on the passenger side. The other guy went to the other side, and I, I don't really, folks, I don't really know what I'm going to find. I mean, he hit really, really hard. So I'm dialing 911, and his vehicle has one of those OnStar things. If you're in a, and it's trying to talk to him, he's not talking. It's and so I'm talking to that person who doesn't see me, and then I'm on 911. And it's, it's, it's a little crazy, right? And that's really a lot of the same story. You know, I was the guy that hung around the longest. And then I had to be interviewed, and I had a statement, and I had to have stuff. And there was just a split second I'm thinking, in fact, I had, I had a rescue guy, or a EMT guy from Harrison there. Got to know him. There was, it was, he had good. He says, you know, he says, the citizen that's really doing the right thing at the right time, we almost penalize those people. It is the truth. But you know what? It, it has happened, isn't it? But, but long story short, the man was actually, he had a cut on his leg. How he survived, I don't have any idea. But the story ended well. But I was thinking about that even this morning as I was doing this. That you know what? Just doing the right thing costs. And I had this little saying, which I've been spreading all over. It, it came out of me. I was, I was traveling selling bulls in Oklahoma, and a guy asked me a question. It was an integrity question, and I turned around and I said this, not even thinking about it. I said, it's always the right time to do the right thing. And the guy just said to me, he said, that is really profound. I said, you know what? I never said that before. That would be just a gift from God for us in this pickup today right here. But it is always the right time to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And on that day, for whatever reason, I was supposed to be right there. And I could think of this just a split second. And I would have been right in the way of that individual. But I was supposed to be there right then. And that, it was interesting, all of those relationships of those people that showed up, there was neighbors I hadn't met, right? And there's all kinds of things that will come out of that that God was in charge of. But the important one thing was, I wouldn't have had to stop because I wasn't technically the first person there but because I'm supposed to do the right thing at the right time 
I did that. Praise God. And this isn't about me. It's just, do you see what I'm saying? Is that you get involved in other people's lives. That's mercy. If you're not getting, another, getting involved in other people's lives, get involved in other people's lives. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Samaritan did. And that's how you will be happy. I left that place. I mean, I, I felt bad for the, for the gentleman, but he was alive. You, you, he, I won't forget that for the rest of my life. It was, it was a hit that, I, whoa. But I left that place feeling what? I felt good. I felt good. Done the right thing for the right reasons. It's good. Mercy is meeting a need. Not just feeling the feeling. See, compassion can stop too fast. You can feel sorry for, you can feel, and then you move on. That's not mercy. Mercy, let's watch, let's watch mercy in action. Now, this guy sees this person and he has compassion. Now, he has a decision to make. Whoa. He looks like he's in pain. Hmm. That's too bad. I kind of feel sorry for him. Oh, I'm late for this appointment. See ya. Now, that's a very shallow sense even of compassion. Watch what he does. Now, watch mercy in action. Mercy never shows up unless there's a problem. He went to him, verse 34, and bound up his wounds. Ah, that's mercy. He, he, mercy is the oil that was put on to take the pain away from that wound. That's mercy. That's meeting a need. Pouring in the oil and wine and set him on his own beast. And he brought him to an end and took care of him. On the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, what you see there is actually two facets. Mercy is taking care of the problem. He has pity on that man. He is trying to take the pain away. Now, grace slips in underneath there, and he buys him a room. He changes his position from lying in the ditch to literally being in a room, being cared for. That's grace. Grace changes and pardons sin. Mercy is pity or helping with the symptoms. That's what God does with our sin. He peels away the pain. He takes those things that we're engaged in, but it's grace that literally changes the situation. Mercy. Let's talk about mercy and, uh, well, actually, let's look at, at mercy and forgiveness. What's the difference between mercy and forgiveness? Let's go to uh, Titus. Can you find Titus? Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Be right back. I've got to get a drink of water real quick. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. That's exactly right. I like it. I like it. You're taking care of business there. I like it. It's okay. It's, okay. it's great. It's, that's right. No problem. When it's on God's word, we're all happy about it. Uh, Titus 3, verse 5. It says, now watch. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So mercy is obviously really, really important in the sense of salvation. Did you sense that? How did he save us? By his mercy. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Just turn backwards in your scriptures here, Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at how God is described in the sense of mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. <laughs> I am really glad that God is rich in mercy. Now, if you think about forgiveness, forgiveness is literally coming, what we're just saying right there. We're, we're going to keep going in a second. Forgiveness comes out of the fountain of mercy. If God had no mercy... There'd be no forgiveness. Do you get it? Mercy's, and we'd be in a lot of trouble. 
And what, what did we say? We've said it a couple times today. When does mercy show up in the scene? When does mercy show up in the scene? Only when there's a problem. If you have no problem, mercy doesn't need to show up. Have you ever heard it said that way? It's a little different, but you know what? You don't need mercy if you don't have a problem. But we have a problem, and it's called sin, and God who is rich in mercy. But watch this now. We're going to see something that's bigger than mercy. Now, forgiveness actually comes out of the spring or the fountain of mercy, but let's see where mercy comes from. Let's again read verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. We were just there. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And I just thought of something. Did we actually read Psalm chapter 1, 51, verse 1? We didn't, did we? Did we, did we do it? That mercy is based upon his loving kindness? Mercy is literally an expression, or I'm sorry, that flows out of love. Forgiveness flows out of mercy. Mercy flows out of God's love. They're tied intricately together. Now, I want you to, Paul, do you remember what you were supposed to remind me of? Boy, you guys all remembered it. Thanks for bailing uh, Paul out. But let's go there, and we're going we're gonna to remind ourselves in the end. But let's go to Romans 5.5. 5. Now, what did we just find out? Okay, stop. Before you read that, you can go to Romans 5.5, 5, but then stop. Don't read it. Just, pay, just, just lock in. Okay. So we've learned a couple things. The Scriptures told us that forgiveness comes from the fountain or the spring of Thank you, because I didn't want to have to start over again. <laughs> it comes from the fountain of mercy, and mercy comes from love. from love. Now, again, mercy is smaller than love. And you say, well, I, we always see mercy and love. Oh, yes, you do, but mercy is only one facet, because mercy, we found out, is literally what? It only shows up when there's a problem. You see, the love, love is much bigger than that. It's based on affection, and you don't have to have a problem to have affection. God is love. And it's not just a problem that he is in love. In other words, if there was ever a human being that ever ended up here, he created everything except humans, he would be no less love than he is right now. My point is saying love is huge and it's bigger than mercy. But because of God's love, mercy is one of those things that shows up. And as a result of that, here comes forgiveness. And we're going to ask, now, where does mercy come from for us? Because what is this, what we're talking about, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7? Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Just those nine words. Where do you get it? Now, you just said it was a gift from God. Because if you're here today and you say, well, I just, I'm just kind of a natural mercy person. You're a liar. It doesn't work that way because that's not how we're wired. Because we've got a problem. It's called sin. And sinners don't like to be merciful. If you, have a, if, you have a, if you have a question about that, just pick up a newspaper or a phone or a television or a radio, and you listen to what's going on in our world today, there's no mercy going on. It's merciless. Now, did you remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17? A merciful man is happy. That's why we don't have a lot of happiness going on. And the really cool thing is, is the four attributes, the four characteristics, the four blesseds that Jesus has talked about, out of those is the first manifestation, mercy. You can't help being merciful if you're humble, you're mourning over your sin, you're meek, that's power under control, and you're thirsting, I mean literally thirsting for righteousness. Mercy is the first thing that comes out of you. That's a, that's a fruit that literally will, and the more that you, the more mercy you show, the more, I'm jumping way outside of my note context, but I just have to share with you, the more mercy that you show because of what we're going to look at in Romans 5.5, 5, the more God gives you. It's like last week. We said this, a hungry man, if he's really, really hungry, he doesn't really need to listen to fantastic guitar music. That's not going to solve the problem. Right? If he's really, really hungry, he probably doesn't need anything other than food. Now, when he's fed, guess what? His appetite is diminished. Not so when we're thirsting after righteousness, because the more you thirst and hunger after righteousness, the more you receive and the more you get, the more you want and the more you want and the more you get. And it's just, it's a cycle that is ever 
what happens? We become more conformed to, the, to, the, to Jesus Christ, just as he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. That's why you're saved. That's why he had mercy, because he literally saved us because of the love he has to bring us to Jesus Christ to make us more and more like him, Jesus Christ. And how he does that is when we respond with thirsting after righteousness. And when we're doing that, now let's go to Europe. You're in Romans 5.5. 5. You're probably wondering what we're there for. Romans 5.5. 5. We're going to start in verse 1 so we build it right. Romans 5.1. Therefore, oh, we always need to know what therefores are there for. Being justified, that is to be declared not guilty, by faith. That comes by faith through grace. If we were going to go to Ephesians, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're justified, you're at peace with God. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Have you had one of those days that it's just like, oh, I don't want any more of today. At the end, what have you seen? What has happened? That verse right there tells us that literally you have just have a little bit more of what Jesus Christ looks like. Tribulation brings patience. Now, if you pray for patience, it's your own fault. Now, now somebody prayed for patience for me yesterday. It was a long one. It was a character builder yesterday. I didn't pray for it. <laughs> but, but the point of the matter, let's continue. Tri uh, tribulation come knowing that tribulation works the patience and patience experience and experience hope. Watch this. This is the verse we want to get to. And hope maketh not ashamed because, watch, the love of God is shit. Now stop, stop. What's the significance of love in our study today? Let's go back. Forgiveness comes out of the fountain of mercy and mercy God is rich in mercy according to his love. his love. And we know that mercy comes from love. So if you're going to be merciful, it's going to have to come from God, and it's going to have to come out of love. Right? That's what we're going to keep reading. Here we go. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Cool, which is given unto us. If you don't have that verse memorized, make it a memory verse. Did you just see what happened right there? Mercy has to come to you if you're in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit who indwells you is there shedding God's love abroad in your heart and out of love comes mercy. And the more mercy you have or share, that's a committed sense of doing what's needed, the more mercy you are showing. Again, it's that cycle that actually is expanding upon itself and you become just a little bit more like Jesus Christ every single day. That is really cool. And right there, the Bible has told us how it works. Mercy deals with negatives. It deals with problems. Mercy says, I pity you. Grace says, I pardon you. Already said this, but mercy deals with a negative. Grace deals with a positive. It's changing position. You're no longer, if you've experienced grace, you no longer are under the penalty or the power of sin. Mercy is literally dealing with the symptoms and the challenges that we have because of sin. And, you know, we've, I, I know you and I know me, and a lot of the things that happen in our life is because of poor, poor choices, poor decisions. It just happens. And God in his mercy, when he, fought, when he saw Adam and Eve sin in his foreknowledge, when they sinned, it was his mercy that literally put Jesus Christ on the cross. And he saw it before he made any of it. God's foreknowledge is just an amazing concept. It just blows my mind. Anything that is knowable, God knew before it was known. How'd you do? That's a wild one, isn't it? But to think he knew what was going to happen before it was even known, to go ahead and continue on that, pro that path, that is love. And out of his love came his mercy because the problem that came had to be solved. Let's look at it in regards to justice. Let's take mercy and justice. Those two sometimes get confused. And yet, you know what? Because of truth, they're literally one. Now, let's think of it this way. 
if God, well, justly now, it does say that we're sinners, every one of us. Scripture's pretty clear. It, it's not one of us is better than anyone else. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's mine. I'll shut that baby off. All right. <laughs> A little diversion. <laughs> no, someone from Glasgow. And there, God does not live in Glasgow, Montana. No, I'm sorry. If, you're, if you hear my voice, yes, God is in Glasgow. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. I just entered into a very, very deep, deep cavern. And Laramie, would you please edit the last 10 seconds off of the tape? Oh, my goodness. That was horrifying. Speaking of needing forgiveness, <laughs> oh, God, have mercy, right? Oh. All right. Well, where were we at? <laughs> All right. Here we go. Woo, let's reel that baby back in. That one did. That one took me out of my game a little bit. Mercy and justice. Um, what, tell me what justice is. Is God just? Why is he just? It's based on another attribute. He's holy. He is holy. And that's a word I can't, I can't describe for you because I'm a sinner. I can't describe what holiness is for you. I wish I could. I would like to see it more fully in Rome or West than I can even think about it. But it's, it's, it's the most pure, the most righteous, the most awesome sense of anything that's perfect and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond, and that's God. And it doesn't even, I, I can't even scratch the surface. But because he's holy, he has to be just. But if he's merciful, can't he just give us a pass? And that's a concept that some people struggle with. Well, can't he just, if he's merciful, he can have mercy on me. And I'm kind of a nice guy at times. And his justice, he's God. He can do anything he wants to do. No, no, no. See, God can only do what God can do. And he can't be unjust because he would cease to be God. But the really cool part is, is that God knew that he could use his mercy and accomplish justice at the same time. You know what came between them and actually married them together? It was truth, the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sin. There was a penalty that was paid. There was a penalty that was due. And justice could be paid as long as there was a payment made. If you go to the store, any store, and you buy something, how do you get it out of the store? Legally. You pay for it. You pay for it. What happens when you pay for it? It's yours, and you usually have a receipt to prove it. You know, there's, if you're at Costco or some of the other places, they want to see your receipt to see if you've got the right amount of item. You, you know, all that stuff. And you know what? When you show them that, that's good enough. You get to pass. It's very much the same way. It's a little bit oversimplified, but literally because Jesus Christ paid the penalty of sin. He was all God, all man, perfect, died the death of a sinner on a cross, but it was perfect, and when he said, it is finished, the last three words he uttered on this side of physical life, that moment, the price was paid. John the Baptist, when he saw it, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. There's not one sin that Jesus Christ didn't accomplish to be paid for. It's done. It's over. And because of that truth, and then fact, see, I needed proof. I, I did. I did. There'd be, there's one reason that I would not stand here today if I didn't know this to be true. And that is, if he had not risen from the dead, then that meant that God the Father could not have been satisfied with the payment that Jesus Christ accomplished. He'd still be lying in state. But glory be, and thank you, all of the evidence shows that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And for me, that's the home run. That's the victory. That's the touchdown. That's everything that I need to put my trust in him. And that's what he did. And that's how mercy and justice could be married is because the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And when I accept the truth, then justice is fulfilled and his mercy is engaged because of his love. Isn't that beautiful? That's God's plan. He did that before he made anything. Isn't that cool? I, I, I tell you what, God is, you talk about merciful. How is it to really, now again, the, the sense of mercy expression, it's not just doing it so that you can maybe down the road get something back. Now, there are those that literally are using acts of mercy to earn favor with God. No, there's no merit to be earned because that's not, that's not salvation. 
Mercy, literally, and mercy in its purest form is give, like that good Samaritan. What was going to be offered to him from a guy that's literally, the scripture says, half dead? What's he going to get from that guy? Nothing. He's not doing it to get anything. In fact, it ceases to be mercy. Listen carefully. It ceases to be mercy if you think that you're going to get something in return. That's no longer mercy. Yes, it comes from your heart. Yes, and it must come from what? A love, a, a heart that has been love spread abroad on it from the Holy Spirit that indwells you. That's the only way you can get it. And the more mercy you give, the more you receive. And that's God's formula. And you know what's the formula for? Happiness. If you're seeking happiness by doing mercy, missed it. In other words, and it sounded so bad, didn't it? Because mercy takes care of itself. But if I'm literally just, oh, let's see. Oh, oh, wait. I'm not going to be happy unless I stop and give mercy to this guy. Missed it. Because then it's conditional. Mercy is not conditional. Let me say that one more time. Mercy is not conditional. What does it say about God? Did he's, you know, when I do all this stuff for them, they're going to really love me. No, it said he loved us before we loved him. It's unconditional. Mercy flows out of a heart of which his love has been shed abroad by the Holy Spirit, which indwells that person that's been born again. All because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. But did you see how perfectly mercy and justice come together? Based on truth. What's wrong with our nation? What's happened to us? We've thrown out truth. We threw truth. We threw truth away. We took our history and out of our schools, and that's what happened. And now we replaced it. We replaced it with this. I don't know how many people are in this room, but the new expression or the new description, the new definition of truth is that you all can have your own truth. I don't know where that started. It was probably 30, 40 years ago. But that was the moment that you would have a death of a society. Because truth must be based on absolute truth, which is absolutely true for all people, in all times, in all places. And that's what the Word of God is. It's always true. And when you detour or you move away from that, You've lost it. Then it becomes just exactly down that pathway. It's only self-exaltation at every turn. Mercy. To show mercy. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. God being the source of mercy, we've talked about that in a number of different ways. And mercy is very special. It's more than forgiveness. It's less than love. It's different than grace, even though um, a salvation is a coin, if you will. Think of a coin. Just take that coin out and put it in your, I don't have one with me. Just say it's a, a quarter, the size of a quarter. And I was going to say that's the coin that would describe or depict salvation. And a coin has two sides. On one side is mercy, and the other side is grace. And it fits. Isn't that beautiful? He's not giving us what we deserve, which is hell, but he's giving us heaven through grace. Changes our position and eliminates the penalty. Mercy and grace married together. It's also one with justice because of truth. Where did I tell you to go? Ephesians? Did I tell you where in Ephesians? Three. There we go. That's right. Let's, let's take this. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Okay. Well, let's try it again since Larry probably said 2 and 3, so he mixes everybody up because that's what I do. That's my job is confuse and distort <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, and we found out where God doesn't live today because of that <laughs> confusion. Ephesians chapter 3, let's look now. This is, this is Paul praying something. He's praying something to, in this, this little book, this little letter to the Ephesians. Uh, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. 
Let's read this. No, just thinking of the power of which Paul is, is praying here. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And there, that's where mercy comes from, is from the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love. Where does mercy come from? Love. Now watch verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height. Four-dimensional in the sense of love that God sheds abroad in your hearts, and to know, verse 19, the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that watch now, this is what I wanted to get to, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You can't help but be merciful when God puts that much into your inner man. The fullness of God. Now, verse, we'll finish it. Now, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Ah, I want a God that can do that. What's the most outrageous thing you've ever thought about? That you, you, but you, you, more than you could ask or think, and God is abundantly beyond that. That's why he could say that with God, nothing is impossible. Remember Mary, this young teenage, about to be mother, not married. Joseph is her Yeah. Um, what, what's the right word? I'm looking for betrothed. 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 She's betrothed. They're engaged, and it's a very sacred time, but not married. Mary is not married. And here comes this angel and appears to her and said, Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child. Let's say you're 16 right now. I don't know. She was somewhere between 14 and 18, probably. It's thought. Okay. She's 16. Let's just make her 16. You want to run that by me one more time? She said it this way. How can these things be since I have not known a man? That's a great question. And she was answered by, with God, nothing is impossible. I like that verse a lot because sometimes... <laughs> Um, there's a lot of times when, you know what, my life, and there's sometimes when your life is very, very complicated, and there are no answers, and it seems impossible. But I'm here to say that if God can take my heart and put love in it, so there's actually literally mercy that comes out of it, and if he can take a young teenage girl, and the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and Emmanuel, God with us, a virgin-born son of God that walks the earth and saves mankind, if he can do that, the really good news is you ain't even got a problem. It's a serious, serious That's problem. A serious Absolutely. Problem. Absolutely. Think of, think of that young girl. Just, just slip into her sandals for a moment. You know, I'm just thinking here just out loud. Why don't you pick Susie down the road? <laughs> right? And you know, some of the problems God gives you were meant just for you to affect the world in a very positive way. God needs you to do what he wants you to do for it's always the right time to do the right thing. And I'm really, really happy and joyful beyond measure to know that that little Mary did the right thing at the right time. And not to leave out Joseph. Here's Joseph doing his deal. He's a carpenter, right? He hasn't seen Mary for a little while because Mary took off to see Elizabeth, which was, what was her relation to Elizabeth? Cousin, okay. So she takes a little journey, slips over the hill, goes to see Elizabeth, and the cell phones and FaceTimes weren't quite as obvious at that time. And she comes back. 
And Joseph sees her for the first time in several months. Oh, Mary. <laughs> so what's been going on? <laughs> in fact, it says in it, he, was, he, was, he had, was going to quietly to put her away, to literally, we're going to be unbetrothed. Now, he didn't want her to be stoned. He didn't want her to be killed. He just, he couldn't figure this out. This is, you know what? This looks like an impossible situation. I thought I knew her. I thought I could trust her. I thought I knew everything about, I know the family. What, what's going on? Can you imagine the turmoil that he would have been going through? I mean, don't, don't discount it. I mean, sometimes we don't want to talk about this tough stuff. You know what? It's tough stuff. And then at just the right time, the angel, in a dream, appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, what Mary is carrying is literally conceived by the Holy Spirit. You expect me to believe that? <laughs> you know what? He did the right thing at the right time. And that young couple did exactly what God wanted them to do in one of the most difficult situations that we could even imagine in that culture. And you know what was the result? Is this place right here that is holding you folks can be saved because of what that little boy child called Emmanuel, God with us, was accomplished in an impossible situation. And we're saved because of what God had foreknew and planned that Jesus Christ would accomplish by his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you're in a difficult situation today, and you are, that's the way life is, just know this, nothing is impossible with God. And he is using you to accomplish things that you couldn't even imagine the magnitude of. If he was going to share with you, you'd say, no. And if you don't believe that, was there any person in here, anyone hearing my voice, that on January 1st was asked to describe what would happen in the next six months in 2020? <laughs> you would have missed it. <laughs> and still, God is in control. Jesus Christ died for every sin and every sinner. Whosoever will, he wants all to come to repentance. He loves you, and he wants you to be merciful as well because then nothing speaks louder than the love of a Christian having love shed abroad in their hearts that they share with others. That impacts a world. Our world needs impacting today. And it'll happen if we're faithful to do what God wants us to do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love that you shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. What a wonderful verse. And it's based upon your justice, which is based on your holiness. And thank you, Father, for the mercy that we can literally share because it's based on the love that you have for this world of people. Father, I pray for our country. I pray for our planet. I pray for our world made up of seven-plus billion people. Each and every one of those you love. Father, I would ask that you would turn hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit towards Jesus Christ. They would see their need for a sinner. As a sinner, show them the Savior. Thank you, Father, for providing the perfect sacrifice. Father, I would ask as well, as Jesus would have spoke to this multitude of people in a seated position on the side of the mountain, as his voice would have resonated with a powerful message that certainly was contrary to anything they could have comprehended coming from this, at least an initial perception of a king to take them out and from under the ruin reign of the Romans. This would make no sense whatsoever. And yet, Father, I'm convinced he would say the very same things to us here on a June 14th in 2020 in a world that's completely turned upside down and chaotic. It's the same message. It's an heart issue. It's an attitude that comes from within. He always wanted to get at the inside, to change from the inside out. To think right would be to live right. Father, thank you for the gift of mercy that you, Father, have extended towards us. And as we, as your followers, being controlled by Christianity, literally can share mercy to others, we know that you have promised to give us more mercy. And ultimately, Father, we are joyful and happy in Christ. I pray for each one of these here today, Father, wherever you would take them, 
Their journeys may take them many, many miles away. But Father, they are in your hands. And you have a work for them in their journey, their life pathway. Strengthen them, uphold them, provide for them. And Father, protect them. We just pray that in every way that you are glorified and that we, are, that we continue to grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ, to be conformed to the image of your Son. Thank you that you're rich in mercy. And now, Father, take us and use us in ways that only you know to be the best for us and to glorify you. These things we'll ask in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.